Hello everyone. Good evening. Hello. Good evening. <laughs> so tonight or afternoon for uh, Uwe, we are joined by Uwe Schmidt or Atom Hart from Santiago, Chile. What's up, Uwe? Hi. Um, uh, all good here. Uh, I just got up. It was an early day for me. Um, <laughs> made some time for you guys. <laughs> That's amazing. You look really nice uh, in a really nice, clean, minimal space. Where, uh, where, where are you? Is this your studio? Well, I just moved um, to a new place uh, after one year, my whole uh, pandemic year last year, I lived in a very small, tiny apartment without equipment. And I decided that that had to change for the next round of um, lockdown. So in March, I moved to a bigger place and finally could move parts of my studio as well. Um, so it's been a big change uh, in different aspects, personal change, but also a different approach with equipment and studio. So it's super minimal, actually, yeah. Um, I decided to bring almost nothing over here. So it's just a very setup, a flight case with some stuff in it and the computer. Awesome. And this is like, a, this is like a, uh, my now office room, but it's a, a room I would like to use in the future for like uh, maybe jamming or podcast streaming stuff like that must feel really good to uh, to make a new start move to a new room start oh, yeah. fresh oh yeah yeah it's been a, a, an interesting change in general like after the pandemic and after 2019 um, to start something very new like also in terms of creative approach and workflow and everything I've decided to start pretty much from scratch with everything so um, this is why everything is empty and I'm trying not to fill it up. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's what happens, right? If you if you go to a new room and uh, you start new, then everything is clean and nice and slowly things get cluttered again. So it's it's always yeah, a good, yeah, yeah. good moment to have the, the, the be in the clean moment again. <laughs> I, th I think it's, it's uh, in my uh, case, it's, it's um, uh, um, an attitude. Um, it's a mindset kind of thing if you go for stuff or not like i've gone through a phase where outside the music i got a little bit tired of stuff like of physical stuff um it's it's been like an almost metaphysical experience where uh, i really felt like i had to get rid of things and um, the studio was of course also a topic um, and it's been really nice every couple of almost every 10 years I go through like this phase of complete reduction mm. and um, and then so slowly you do build I... up after a while pardon so you do build it up after a while because if you didn't have to reduce it again it means that you, you know it, it does clutter up after a while or... yeah no I mean it's not really cluttering I, I would rather it's say still... that after after a, a period of nothing I then um, go straight into like okay now I, I want to get stuff again uh, and then I, I, it doesn't really sum up like slowly or something like that. I m normally go from one thing to the next and back. Uh, like getting rid of my equipment now was really like a, a cut. Um, and last time I did this, which was 15, 20 years ago, I did something very similar. Um, I had worked only with a laptop for 10 years um, from like 2003 to 
2010, something like that. And then I was like, okay, I'm done with that phase. Um, I need to get some stuff. And then I bought all kinds of things. Um, and I feel now this is kind of over uh, again. So what's your current idea? What? Uh, yeah, sorry, I, I, I have to first maybe introduce the other guests. I would really like to get uh -huh. back to this. Uh, let, me, let me first introduce uh, Ori, who's joining us from New York City, last minute. Federico, nice man, nice to, nice to see you. Good to, to have you on again. Ciao, and thanks for having me again. I'm very honored, as usual. I'm very happy to see you guys again. It's always a pleasure to be here. Uh, I'm pleasure. interested in this uh, stuff thing because I've been through that already a couple of times, moving to New York with nothing. And I was mm. free and happy, and now I am again filled with <laughs> stuff. So I feel we can relate on this topic. Cool. Um, yeah, let's uh, first introduce Peter. Peter joining us from Berlin Hello. in his studio. What's up, uh, Peter? How are you? All, all good here. Um, not a lot of nothing. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So I um, totally agree with uh, the fact that it would be good to minimize, but I haven't been able to. You're not. You're not in that phase right now. <laughs> um, I, I totally get it when it comes to non-music stuff. Um, that I, I have more of a, uh, yeah, a feeling that less things are better for me because it's just it's just less distractions and it's easier to focus on whatever you need to do. But when it comes to music, yeah, I, I just I'm so interested in instruments and and, and software as well, in in new things just to, to you know to find out how how these builders, these tool makers have come up with new ideas and new things and how they, you know, how they put that, put an interface on it and then present it to us, the, the people who make the music. It's always been a big attraction for me. Like, I have a lot of admiration for instrument builders. So instruments for me, I find usually fascinating. Yeah. I mean, do you also um, consider instruments as a source of inspiration in somehow? Absolutely, yeah. When I when I got into my first modular system, um, the the reason for buying it was almost as much the aesthetics as the sonic aspect of it. I mean, I need to sort of click with an instrument. Um, I, I cannot use, you know, if somebody would build the best synthesizer ever built, but with a, an ugly interface or an interface that does not appeal to me, I wouldn't use it. Because I just, I just, I just can't deal with the aesthetics of it. Well, I sometimes, I, I sometimes joke about. Uh, people ask me why I'm not having a um, a clavia not lead, and I usually say that the red doesn't fit. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> it's an acquired taste. Acquired taste. I have an old drum that I hated in <laughs> because it's red and it's a punch in the eye, but it's an acquired taste. After a while, you start. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I, I, you know, it is something you interact with. It's something that 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 you are having a very um, can I use the word intimate intimate relationship with. I mean, a few years ago, I bought a guitar. I uh, again after many years of not playing guitar, and again the same thing. Obviously, I wanted a, a nice, you know, nice sounding guitar with good technical specifications and all that. But then the way it looks is equally as important. Uh, so you, you can you can just enjoy 
picking it up and playing it and it becomes uh, you know it's always a, a, a pleasurable experience and that for me goes I mean form and function go hand in hand I find um, it goes for stuff that I have in the house or the clothes that you wear or the car that you drive aren't there any exceptions like uh, isn't there anything like that you you are not a fan of um, by the way it looks but still is like an unmissable part of your uh, arsenal somehow that's a very different <laughs> Federico's looking I have around. Tell two, tell two things. Now, <laughs> okay, tell. Sad to say for the builders, but one thing that I always use in my live and in my streaming is the uh, Roland TR8. That it's the ugliest product That's ever. Ugly. It's a, looks like a toy, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah that green kills me. It's even worse yeah. than Flavia. But it's the most, for me, it's the easiest way to get the sound I want, and I love it for live use. So I. I I, I use it all the time. I try, you know, I have many other things, but every time I go back to it, and now I just embrace it. And then I have the deluge that I'm a big fan of what it can do, but it's ugly as hell to me. Too. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it, it's a kind of design that, that doesn't really fit me. And, and I build my, being a photographer before, I'm really too uh, interested by the design and by something look. So, I do a lot of video, I'll do a lot of content. So if something looks ugly for me, it's always a even bigger problem. So I really research for things that looks nice. I think mm. it, it really goes hands in hands with the user, um, the pleasure you have to play something. It has to play, please your eyes, please your hands, and, and also sonically, of course. Mm. Yeah, interesting. I would, I would say though that the sonics of something is number one for me even though you know i do appreciate nice looking gear you know and uh, i think m number one would be the sonics number two would be the interface and three would be the looks yeah uh, but i wouldn't dismiss any of any of any instrument if one of them isn't quite right if you know what i mean there's the fact that there's sometimes some things that might be super simple, and then I use effects on that. So I, I you know, sometimes, sometimes I've been guilty of using something because I really like the interface. I really like the how it looks, and maybe it's not the most amazing thing in the world. But then I, I change the sound so much later on in the chain that it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Yeah, like a guitar with uh, 16 pedals. You know, it doesn't matter what you play, it's always going to be noisy. <laughs> you still have to look at it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Uwe, maybe, maybe you can talk a bit more in depth about your, um, your sort of uh, um, decision to slim things down. What was it that was bothering you about the situation you wanted to, uh, to get rid of? What, and what did you get rid of? What was the gear that you thought was no longer... Necessary. Let's say ten, 10 years ago, I had started to. 10 years ago, I was kind of tired of where the digital world had gone in terms of digital production. I'm very much Pro Tools based and um, I worked 10 years only on a laptop, only with Pro Tools, nothing else. And um, after 10 years of that type of minimalism, I was like, okay, I need some gear. I really want to, you know, have more hands on experience and. So I got not much stuff, but a couple of synths and drum machines and, you know. Um, and um, then a couple of other things happened. Um, I got a divorce. Um, I have to sell the studio. I had to move to a different place. 
a couple of people died. Um, then the uh, COVID happened. And so it was like a period of like a lot of change in general. And I came out of that in a mindset where I got really tired of stuff uh, and not even mu it's not even music related. Like I feel like when I have to, when somebody asks me, we, I, I know uh, you have to buy uh, a microphone or you have to buy uh, a frying pan. I'm like, Oh no, I don't want to buy stuff. Uh, I don't want to have stuff. I feel like I don't, I want to get rid of stuff like physical stuff. And I want to feel lighter. And when I then had to change, uh, move to a new apartment and after the, um, the lockdowns last year, I thought a lot about what I wanted to do. I wanted to change my workflow in general, uh, the way I work. I wanted to have it different. Um, I've always worked a lot within Pro Tools and I've always made music from a very constructive point of view, like lots of editing, um, not so much fiddling, um, always playing bits and pieces and then building it in Pro Tools. Like, and I really enjoy that. I really like that. But I felt like my studio, my old studio, was, was very linked to my thinking about music and what I came up with musically. So I wanted to just break that uh, completely and start uh, thinking about it from scratch. Like, how would, how would I do that differently without the gear? Um, and I had come across a lot of a software actually last year in lockdown uh, without a studio, which I found super inspiring. And I had uh, started to work only on a small laptop in my small apartment. Um, yeah, not being able to go out and all that. And I decided that I wanted to give it a shot with going back to the just computer and a, a little bit of outboard gear for the sound. And I, I locked away all my synths and all my drum machines and um, really thought about, um, I'm seeing your um, B77 uh, over there, Federico. Mm -hmm. I, I had one sitting there uh, for 10 years and I was like, do I really want it? Um, do I really need it? Like really, 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 like how often have I used it? And I was like, I haven't used it enough to Justify. see it sitting there. Um, so I sold a lot of stuff and I'm still selling a lot of stuff and getting rid of the physical aspect. And I really wanted to feel it was more like a, almost like a metaphysical feeling of wanting to feel lighter. Like I just want to sit in an, in an empty room in front of a screen and be able to come up with stuff uh, without anything around me, really. It, uh, it's more about the feeling I want to have in that room. Um, it's it's an unpolished place. It's rough, uh, a little bit cold, um, and it's more about the energy I wanted to to have in that in that place. Before so it was it, kind it, of it was kind of cozy and um, yes. all like well you know set up, and I want to have something rougher as well. So is it is it a way to uh, to push yourself to rely on more on your own uh, imagination and uh, oh, yeah. your brain? Yeah. Okay. Well, I, actually, I had this experience at least twice in my life. I, I I've gone through this phase twice where I had like a relatively big studio, and then I said, okay, I'm locking all this away, and I'm just the first time it was maybe 20 years ago. I just want to make music with an um, Akai sampler, 32 megabyte um, 
that I said I can do everything with 32 megabyte. And um, it, at the beginning, of course, you're kind of frightened maybe about the process because you go like, how would I ever do that? It, it seems like impossible. But then if you manage to do that, it, it, it's an incredible feeling of inspiration, which is kind of strange. Uh, but you have to really feel it for at least once to understand that this is actually happening. Otherwise, it's just an, a crazy idea. You can't really believe it's going to happen. And then when I did it the second time, where I got rid of everything and only had like a, a small laptop for 10 years, it was the same. I was like, okay, I, from now on, I want to do everything just within Pro Tools without anything else. Can I do this? You know, can I do cha-cha-cha uh, like that or acid? or techno or ambient, uh, how, how would I go about? And you have to become very creative in that because you, you're looking at an empty um, canvas, basically. Hmm. Uh, and you have like maybe 10 shortcuts and that's it. And what happens in your mind is actually pretty fascinating in the way that suddenly it opens up all kinds of processes and ideas and ways to see stuff that, that before you could fill up with um, with with um, gear. I don't know, I need a drum beat. Oh, I turn on the drum machine and I do this and this and I have a drum beat. If you don't have that, you really have to think a little bit about it and you come up with pretty amazing um, ideas you hadn't had before. And um, for somebody who has never done that, it's maybe hard to understand that this is what happens there. It's not quite logical maybe. And um, I've done this a couple of times, and now again has been the moment where I was like, yeah, fuck it, I'm done with um, the old studio. I just want to start from scratch and see what happens. And actually, it's been a lot of fun again. Cool, yeah. <clears throat> I was going to um, uh, elaborate on this, you know, wanted to know more about it, but maybe give uh, 30 Drop Sergio a... Uh, a chance he's uh, asking specifically what uh, drum machines uh, you used on uh, cloned do you remember that, that was 94 um um i think it was a sampler i think it was an s950 triggered by a yamaha rx5 drum machine which i used as a sequencer like mm. I sequenced everything with the drum machine. I didn't have a, a proper sequencer back then. There you go, Sergio. So was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I mean, I, I can totally relate to what you're saying about um, forcing yourself to uh, to work with uh, limitations because that's really what you were doing, right? Um, yeah. The, I mean, the, the thing that uh, I, I found out from experience, you know, having too many choices uh, is sometimes, you know, uh, distracting you and taking you away, f away from the, the subject or your goal or your um, your desired outcome or whatever. Um, but And by reducing your possibilities, you can often get to a state where you have to work harder or use your imagination more and, and somehow find solutions to do things that you would never thought were possible with uh, such a limited range of, of gear. But did you actually find this out at some point or did you actually jump in the dark and say uh okay i'm just gonna handcuff myself and and see what i can come up with what came first? The, first the first two times i kind of thought it was possible i 
from a theoretical point of view, I looked at a sampler, for example, and I was like, everything I have in my studio, I could theoretically do within the sampler, theoretically. But right. it's, a little bit, it's a little bit scary because um, mm. you don't really know what's going to happen with the workflow and everything. So in both cases, I kind of, from a theoretical standpoint, thought about it and, uh, and I thought it was possible. But then again, it's, it's theory. You often, I mean, we all know that in theory, certain pieces of equipment can do stuff. Anything like a synth, a drum machine, a computer, a software. Theoretically, you read the specs and you go like, yeah, this is doing it. And then you use it and you go like, it's actually not doing it. Mm. So there's always this other possibility that in your mind and theoretically looking at it, it's possible. But in the concrete, in the workflow kind of, uh, because it's more complex how the ideas and the machines interact and, and your ideas and all that. It has to be like, a, it has to flow really. You know, mm -hmm. so looking at it from the theory, um, you could go like, yeah, maybe. But then in practice, uh, it could still not like not work. And uh, so, what do you do I in always, such I, a I, what What do you do in such a, a circumstance? Because um, I know that feeling. You know, you're like, okay, mm -hmm. this should be able to do the job, and then you you try it and you you try it again, and it doesn't really come out the way you you want to or you expect it or it's not moving you or anything you know so um, you can you can then try again or you can uh, go along with whatever the machine is is allowing you to do so you know have the machine sort of dictate the direction what what is is something can can you say something about that um i think it depends on how fixated you are on your ideas mm -hmm. i would say um, very often I'm super fixated on something very specific and, and it needs to be like that. And if a certain piece of equipment doesn't do it, then I retry it with other solutions, obviously. Um, right. I always think the idea is more important than, you know, the, the workflow concept, the theory behind your studio and, and all of that. Um, but then it also, in terms of talk, when you're talking about a limited set of equipment, it's not a random limitation. It's a limitation um, of, of a setup you kind of understand and you know, like in the first case, the sampler, like I, I knew what it could do and what I liked and what I didn't like. The setup I have now as well, I think I know what I can do, what I can't. And uh, all the stuff I think I cannot do, um, I, I'm happily trying to do otherwise. You know, I'm not right. like... It's not like I have limited to this and that's it. Uh, I cannot, <laughs> you know, come um, come up with with different solutions. If I had to, of course, I do. I would do so. Um, so it's even though it's it's a conceptual change. I think in the workflow, I'm, I think it's important not to be stuck within the concept too much, but be open enough to see. Okay, there is. It works, it doesn't work. Um, I have to maybe adjust my idea about my workflow. Mm -hmm. is, is, isn't that idea easier to execute today than, let's say, 20 years ago? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, because I'm saying this because I recently went, I had to spend five months in the UK for private reasons, a quite sudden move. Um, so no time to prepare anything, basically. Uh, pack my bag with, uh, you know, uh, three pairs of trousers, uh, five shirts, six pairs of socks, whatever, and one iPad <laughs> and one laptop. 
no sound card, a pair of headphones. That was it. Laptop, iPad, headphones. Thinking, okay, um, this is going to last maybe five months. At least I have the iPad. And it sort of brought me into the same story where, you know, suddenly you sit there and you're like, okay, I have no studio. I have no speakers. I don't even know how I'm going to, you know, interact with this iPad versus the laptop because there's no way to monitor these things and there's no sound card and you find a way. And um, actually, I managed to, to you know, produce uh, um, more music than I thought I was, I was going to be able to. And whilst doing it, I realized like, wow, this is, this is only possible in 2020 because that's, you know, end of the year, end of last year when, when was when I moved. Um, it's like, this is, this is amazing what is possible right now. I can have iPad apps that, that actually do what I, or make the sounds that I would, would want to use in my productions and even more than that. So I think doing the, this exercise 20 years ago must have been a, a much bigger challenge, I, I guess. It, it was, definitely. I mean, at the same time, I have always felt like my ideas were kind of in sync with my capabilities, my possibilities, who I was, uh, let's say, uh, in terms of ideas and creativity, was always kind of evolving with that, with the equipment as well. Like, I mean, if I look back at 20 years ago, compared to what I would be able to do in my telephone, um, is like an insane, uh, a really insane um, expansion of possibilities. So in that sense, it's much less of a danger, let's say, to say, I'm just going to do it in my computer today. It's, it's not really such a big deal as compared to 20 years ago. I, I totally agree with that. And, uh, but still... Um, there's there's a similar thing happening in the computer as well. You can the computer in its in the machine itself, like what's in there, is as well pretty. Um, there's there's a lot going on in there. You can also like start collecting plugins, and you can have the same kind of clutter in the computer. So uh, to me, again, it has a lot to do with the mindset of uh, reduction. And I found it really difficult in general, and this is like more like a philosophical reflection, uh, having to get rid of stuff in general, no matter what it is, if it's a spoon or a drum machine or a carpet, one has a strange bond to the objects in general. No, not even stuff that you would look at it and you go like, this is important to me. It's not like stuff that was, I don't know, uh, historically important to you. There's no emotional bonding or anything. You just look at something and you go like, I want to get rid of this. And it's not that easy. Um, you know, you have to almost be forced like Peter, take your shit and go. And then you have to leave stuff behind. But if you're like in this comfort zone of not having to do it, it's really hard to, to get rid of stuff. And in the studio, it's, it's in the studio. I even now I brought stuff. Uh, I brought a sampler of which I, I'm sure I'm not going to use it, but I was like, maybe, maybe. I would need to use it. Um, and it was kind of hard to leave it, uh, you know, behind. So we have this strange connection to the objects, which kind of start to take over. Um, um, they, uh, they have some power over us, you know. The object, object own part of their yeah. owners, you know. We yeah. own the object. The object also owns the owner somehow. Yeah. You know? The longer you interact with it, the, the more it, it becomes 
it, it claims ownership over you. Um, absolutely, I find, I absolutely. Find that, I find that's that's true. Like cats that's and dogs. <laughs> exactly. Like with, with, with the cat, it's very clear. Like the cat owns you. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you, you, you think that you own the cat, but no, no, no. The cat doesn't feed you. You feed the cat, but, but <laughs> so you're the slave, basically. <laughs> it's the same thing with the same with, with with gear in a way that you know these machines own part of me mm. yeah i mean it's true the more stuff you uh, you have the more um, uh, uh, responsibility and and um, yeah the more weight you have on you basically that's true it's absolutely true but still uh sitting there with your uh, uh comfortable collection peter is there is there a way uh, you kind of um uh, reduce um the possibilities when you work on something when when you're in the studio and not traveling like uh, is there is there a way you you manage to not get distracted by everything around you um well to be honest the machines which are on, on that site there's a whole rack on the site that you can't see um one two three four five six seven eight nine ten machines 11 12 um i don't think i've touched them in the last two years more than once each so i'm sort of blocking out that part of the room already mm. and then um the machines behind me are used so they're kind of part of the story and then in the corner here is is a part of the modular system usually they're not there for me you know so they're not in my in my they don't actually disturb me as as things that demand attention because for me i tend to go through phases where i use a very select group of instruments or plugins and they all go together and then i i go to a next phase and then i use another group of instruments and, and plugins and it's not really tied to a project it's more tied to whatever goes on in my head and and you know, after a while I'm done and I move on to something else. And then there might be five years, a loop of five years, and then I come back to maybe a similar setup that I used five years ago um, with a fresh approach and a fresh mind because you haven't touched those instruments. For instance, here in front of me is the Electron Mono Machine, which I'm going to take out of this studio and bring back to my home studio because I want to have it sit in front of me at home. And I'm just going to spend maybe a week or two only with that machine just to reacquaint myself with it because I used it a lot um, 10 years ago um, like it was in almost every track and now I haven't used it in ages and I saw it when I came in the studio this week and I was like oh, I'm going to just reacquaint myself with it so yeah, it's, it's just phases mm. regardless of the project so the mono machine was uh, saying hi to you take me take me <laughs> it must, it must kind of something like a subliminal influence but, <laughs> yeah I, I mean i've i've had a very um rewarding um interaction with it like maybe 10 years ago i, I found it a really interesting machine i love fm synthesis so it was a, a you know i always had a good interaction with it but somehow again so I, I ended up in a new phase and then that machine was no longer part of it and you know i'm using a lot of software these days maybe even more than when I'm using hardware, um, so yeah, it just constantly changes, but it's not related to a project or it's not related to a specific idea. It's the, the right. workflow itself is just mutating all the time. Well, maybe maybe let's talk about that because I saw a comment or a question earlier about your studio process. So maybe 
a good way to maybe start explaining it is uh, how do you go about uh, starting a project? Do you have an idea for an aesthetic or like a style or a, a musical idea and then you start working on it? Or are you the person who starts just fiddling around and stumble upon ideas? What's what's usually your... Um, both. Your, your, both, okay. I mean, I've, I've, I've been receiving... I've been getting this question a couple of times already in the past years. And um, I can't say there is one way of, of working. That it, it really depends on even the mood I'm in. Or, or There's so many variables that define the way I work, at least that I cannot say that is, you know, this is the way I work. I think, you know, I think, like always said, he is more prone to start with an idea and then, and then move from that idea. That sometimes happens with me. Sometimes I just walk into the studio and I just jam. And and I have no idea if, if what I am doing is going to become something. Uh, I have hard drives full of jams that, you know, terabytes of sounds that might or might not become something um, so it's it's very difficult to give an answer to that and I saw the reference to the track which was mentioned um, that track was if I that was done very fast um, on a laptop uh, with a little bit of hardware so it, whereas other tracks sometimes take weeks I just it I can't really answer that question because it's 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 all of the above basically just mm. depends on the time and, and the moment and uh, i always found the the biography of um pollock the painter very interesting because he was very clearly working from the subconscious and so you know what was what was stated is that while he was painting he just did not think he just he just let the moment take over and i have a lot of I tried to recreate a lot of settings for myself um, in which I could try and, you know, get into that sort of workflow. And that sometimes works really well, and sometimes it just doesn't work at all, and you need a focus, you need an idea, you need... Sometimes I use the, the Brian Eno cards. If I don't know where I'm going, I'll just pick a card. From uh -huh. the ob oblique oblique um, strategies, yeah. Oblique strategy. Because sometimes I just sit there and maybe I have too many choices. Or, or maybe it's just a bad day and I'm just not flowing. And then you have to break that up somehow and you can do that with, you know, I just pull an oblique strategy card or I go here into the little storage room in the, in the studio and maybe I'll find a, an old guitar pedal and start playing around with that. There's a thousand strategies. It just mutates from day to day. Yeah, what you say about um, um, uh, this specific track that it was done very quickly, do you uh, see... Or notice differences between things that you are really slaving over to get done and things that just uh, slip out of your sleeve uh, effortlessly um, I mean you know we all have these days you know I guess with uh, if, if you have a pretty complex setup sometimes things just happen and uh, and you know they're there without even uh, making an effort and then other times you are just uh, you know breaking your busting your balls breaking your brain over it <laughs> I think in, in that case, you know, when it's when it's really difficult and, and then I think for sure the minimalist um, approach can help you because in many cases, then it, you will, it will be a question of having too many choices. I, I do think mm. that having too many choices is, is, is 
can be a blockage, you know, it can 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 become an obstacle. So in that in that regard, I I very much agree with Uwe that that sometimes you really need to reduce. And as I said, I saw this during this recent period in the UK with just an iPad. Um, it, it was a very interesting way of working. I had I, I was making sounds on the iPad, which I then airdropped into the into the Mac, put it into Bidwig, listen to it, maybe added some percussion, and then thinking, okay, so now I need something else, but I can't play the laptop sound and the iPad sound at the same time. So I'll need to go, I'll need to try and remember as much as I can what's now here in this Bitweek project. And then I'll go back to the iPad and make something of which I think is in tune and fits with, you know. And so you go back and forth and you just airdrop files from one thing to the other until you find some sort of marriage between all these sounds which works. And obviously, it's not a, it's not the, the best workflow, but it works. So you're suddenly realizing, like, yeah, I'm I'm just using one app on the iPad and I'm using one one piece of software on the on the laptop and it's working. I don't need this. Yeah, you, you mentioned you, know? you you just mentioned something interesting because you you basically say in in the case of this project, you were just uh, creating something on the iPad and then dropping it into the laptop one by one, sort of like piece by piece. So in a sense, you are going blind in in uh, in in most most of the time while you're creating these things and then putting them together which is it's a nice that's a nice idea because sometimes um that can also cause surprises or or things that are maybe slightly off or were not intended like it but which might give the whole thing uh, an interesting yep. angle yeah, yeah i guess it was it was it was a, it was a very interesting experience i mean i remember obviously it's an ipad so you can carry it around everywhere i remember sitting in the living room one night and fiddling around, not being happy. And I'd installed some modular environment. I don't remember the, the, the you know, it's, it's like a digital modular synthesizer, basically. And it accepts, it has a module that accepts audio input. And the TV was on and whatever. I just decided to sample whatever was in the room and run it through um, a bunch of these virtual modules and not listen to it. Just, I saw the signal coming in. I recorded it and then airdropped it into the into the, 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 the Mac, into Bitwig. And then you you just, you know, you're listening to something which you just recorded, but you're listening to it for the first time. And then you suddenly have this in a bigger environment. Um, it's, it, yeah. In the context, yeah. In a context. These limitations automatically present you with moments that you would not encounter or that I would never encounter when making music here. Because here sure. everything's... Everything's, you know. Yeah, and it's not so easy to go back because if you would want to change it, you have to do the whole process again, which will take another ten okay. or fifteen minutes. Yeah, exactly. yeah, interesting. Uh, I can I can definitely see how that works. You know, just um, commitment is the I think is the word. You know, uh, you know big word. Re record something and stick with it, and then just make it work. <laughs> I think for, for me, in the last maybe the last fifteen years, the most important thing that uh, changed for me was exactly that that I, I started um, deleting MIDI, for instance. So if I have, if I'm doing something on the computer and, you know, I'm generating sound with MIDI, I print it and I delete the sequence in MIDI so that I cannot go back and start altering parameters or start altering, no, that's what it is. Mm. If it's not good enough, you do it again. And in that way, I try to connect myself to more traditional ways of recording. You know, yeah, tape style, in the almost. Yeah. Tape style. Yeah. But it's not good, you have to do another take. Hmm. And um, that's since then been my preferred preferred way of working. 
Mm. It's funny. It's funny with with all the technology uh, available these days, people are finding all these ways to to force the commitment. You know, because mm -hmm. in theory you can go on forever. I, I, I'm wondering how that uh, how that works for Uber. You know, with working inside a computer exclusively. Um, Sorry, I'm ignoring you, Federico. <laughs> I'll get back. I'll go back. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, because because it must be it must be um, uh, a more sort of time-consuming um, way to to work inside a computer with um, uh, you know not being able to tweak things. Uh, or or am I wrong? Is are are you happy with the speed at which things come together? Actually, um, to my surprise, I am faster than I used to be, and mm -hmm. I'm able to do stuff in a more complex way, in a more deep, deeper and more, more sophisticated and detailed way than I did before. But I also decided that part of the change had to do with uh, that I wanted to do something very different than before. Um, so it's hard to compare in a way. Um, it has also to do with the fact that I wanted to push myself more. This comes out of a, a, also like a more personal process of the last couple of years where I want to surprise myself with, and this sounds maybe very big, uh, but it is not. Um, I have the daily motto, actually, to, in the process of making music, to try at least to surprise myself with something new every day. Like the moment I get to do something where I, when I think about it, go like, yeah, I've done that before. Uh, that's how you do it. That's how I would do it. That's my taste. That's whatever. I go like, ah, maybe I should do something else. And then I usually erase it and start again until I come up with something that I have not experienced like that before. So to me, getting rid of old equipment and of the old workflow um, had a lot to do with it. So um, everything I'm, I've been trying since then in the computer is um, all stuff that's pretty new for me in terms of workflow and synthesis and the machinery and the interfaces and all that. And it's been very intuitive and very fast. And um, I don't see any difference i don't even think there is there is not no difference in speed itself i think um there is difference in um let's say the reliability of your action like if you're what what you have in your mind towards what you want to achieve if if that execution is efficient and then of course it can have something to do with time but it's not necessarily about doing stuff fast it's more about doing stuff in an efficient way well, yeah, and, I, uh, I, I agree, but I mean, you must agree that, that uh, you know, uh, tweaking a synth or uh, turn, turning some knobs on, on something that modifies the sound is, is like happening in real time. And, and if you're in, in a computer, then you still have to kind of wait for the result to emerge when you're programming things, or isn't that the way you, you do it? Um, yes and no. Do you, but, do you have uh, do you have some way to that, that you feel that you are performing your your uh, yeah. your input? Actually, as a matter of fact, my old studio was much less performance oriented. It was much more. I had nothing connected with each other. I was more like I have an idea. What do I need? I need uh, I know I, I need a kick drum. 
And then I was looking for where I could get the kick drum from, and then I would make the kick drum, record the kick drum, and then I would edit the kick drum. I, wouldn't, I would never program everything together. Like, I would every now and then jam bits and pieces, but they would always end up in Pro Tools being edited. And I wanted to have actually a system which is much more jammable. Um, and I can do this now within the computer with also a limited amount of um, elements. It's not like a huge you know, array of stuff. But that's also super important to say like, okay, I have maybe 10 elements um, played by 10 different instruments um, and I can play them and then um, I can jam them and record the jam and then I do the editing. Okay, so, actually, so that's still okay. So that's still an option. You have some kind of input uh, device or MIDI yeah, controller yeah. or something like that. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. Actually, maybe that's very unique to my old setup. My new setup is much more playable than the old one. I feel much faster than I did in the past, but it has more to do with how I used to work in the past, which was much more editing oriented and not that much um, hands-on actually. Hmm. So, what about you, Federico? You're um, you're more uh, of a hands-on guy, right? Yeah, I, I'm actually lately more into the box than I thought I wanted to be. But uh, my approach is is really like I do right now for my music just improvisation stuff, and it's a year that I don't save a single pattern. So, it's. Uh, so the, I use the Octatrack mostly, and I force myself to play every day. So start uh, forcing myself, not thinking that there's no writer blocks. It's just barriers in your mind. So every day I have a strict routine. And I went f being full musician or working in music full time since a couple of months before I was in photography. So now I took like this very seriously. And I, I, have a, I need to have a routine in what I'm doing because otherwise I get very distracted, very easily distracted. And, and also I try to limit myself on what I use for my, let's say, artistic performances. So I have very few things that I play every day as I used to play a guitar because I always relate electronic music to my band, guitar player and singer past. So... Uh, I try not to think I can get over an instrument because I can do everything with that. So I selected the Vermona, I play with that. It's, it's a long time that I play with that. I'm very comfortable, I improvise everything and uh, I use music for like a sort of daily practice as a meditation form, whatever you wanna call it. And, and to me, it's just like the beauty part is just doing every day, doing religiously and uh, Recording always a stereo with a lot of effects, whatever it is, but not uh, spending a lot of time in computer. Later on, now I start doing content a lot. So I, uh, I, I also like the nerd part. I love instrument too. So, you know, I'm at the point that I collaborate with the brands and I receive instrument and effects. So there's always a big flow of stuff coming in here. And I love to try them. I love maybe to record something with that, but very few things stay in the workflow, the daily, like, aura music workflow, let's say that. But your process is, is more or less capturing the moment in, in yep. real time. Yeah, yep. yeah. Yeah, I try to embrace the fact that uh, I went many times to, like, you know, am I good enough, my music is good enough, and now I got to the point that it's a, it's a sort of daily diary recording, and I want to bring this 
hopefully soon out and like play with what I have in very honest way and very risky way. I like embracing the risk that I used to have in bands because it's just like there's nothing pre-recorded, right? It's just like you play right away. So that's for me, it's what I want to find in music every day. It's just like something new and something that you play in the moment and whatever it is, you, you accept it somehow. And every day you you do the same thing where you you play with an octa track every day as kind of part of the the process. I, I, yeah, I, I mean, I I right now what I'm playing in the last year is just the octa track as a sequencer and this uh, the Vermona performer that is a just a very oh, yeah. simple yeah. four channel strip yeah. uh, synth that to me is the best synth I've ever had. It's super simple. It has like three uh, three waves, three four. Uh, very simple, just one LFO, some cool FM possibility. Uh, but to me, it's the black, uh, blank canvas I start. And then I use a lot of, uh, with the mixer, I can use sand effects and a lot of stomp boxes. To me, the magic for the things that I really like is that, starting with a very simple canvas and then add effects. And mostly it's very simple, minimal stuff. And uh, I like simplicity and... and uh, so far, so good. I really enjoy what I'm doing lately. For, for one of the first time in my life, I feel that I have, okay, I can own this kind of stuff that I'm doing. I'm comfortable doing it. And it became a really way I, I can improvise with that. That that was my goal. Like, I don't want to prepare anything. I just want to uh, let go and, and have fun with it, without anxiety and preparation. And would it be a, 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 a plan in the future to take that setup and go and perform? Yeah, that, that's that part. So, so far, I'm just doing like streaming. That has been a very nice exercise in like, uh, uh, you know, feel the kind of pressure that even if you will do a streaming in front of four people on Twitch, doesn't really matter. But you have to take home that 45 minute or an hour because that's the maximum I want to play. Otherwise, it can be repetitive. But with a very limited se uh, set of instrument, try to make it different every time and start from no sequence and just see where you can go. And I find out that the, the cool part is like every time there's something different and then sometimes I do very good stuff for myself and I'm, you know, I don't know how, how to get there again. And that is what, what I really enjoy. Just like I was such in the flow in that moment that things fall in place very nicely. I don't care to redo that again. I recorded it, but uh, it, it's great to me that I don't have that pattern because otherwise I would go there again and again and again and I would feel like I'm losing the creativity part and the uh, excitement on doing something every day. So when you do these jams, uh, Federico, is it you start really from scratch, like you enter the notes while you are... Yeah. Uh, I mean, so you're writing in step? Yeah. Sometimes, like, uh, I, I have a small keyboard connected to the Octatrack. Finally, I, I get to know the Octatrack pretty well, because that was the hardest part, of course. But it, it's sometimes I can start with just a couple of notes, like bass notes. I, I use the Vermona, like, each strip has its own role, like a band. So I have my bass, I have my singer, I have my rhythmic guitar. So very easily i try to separate all the instrument uh, as i uh, as i used to do when i compose for bands so it, it's a simple approach but really works for what i want to do well there's something to say about this approach because um i've i've done it many times as well and i like to be in the zone 
where am I where am where am I am I am <laughs> as much a spectator as uh, a maker of what is happening you know so if you do things in real time and if you're writing stuff in in you know like, like in step sequencers and you know basically coming up with these things on the fly in real time uh, you can get um, really lifted by the moment because you you things emerge that you are doing kind of on purpose but you never know really how they come out so they you you're, you're sort of running behind the results in a sense you know what i mean you're sort of uh, uh, catching up with yourself all the time and um yeah that's you know being being the spectator as as, uh, as well as the maker in in the same moment is is something special i think it's, uh, it's exactly a sort of meditation somehow some i, I interpret meditation like that so mm. you're a spectator of your of your thoughts you, know, you sit down and you watch your thoughts going on and it's yeah. the same for music to me if i see my problem with computer is that I need to have more of a, a, a approach where I need to know where I'm going, otherwise I will be lost. And that's why I think it doesn't really work. While with the instrumental approach, like with the synths and the improvisation, it's it's really allows me to let go. So, yeah, it, it is a meditation, I guess. So even the stuff you released came together like this, or was it more like pre pre-planned and written? I just uh, released one album a few days ago with the Finestra, and that one is a full improvisation. There's three three tracks, and one is a 20-minute track. It's, those are, that was just improvisation, and I'm really proud of that. Really like it. There's a, an album that I come now that it was the last that I used to record with, like more of a, you know, I record something improvisational, and then in the DAW I'll add stuff. But uh, right now, my goal is just uh, completely avoid any any production as much as I can. So there was this questions earlier: How do you deal with compression and dynamics on a live performance? Because that's an interesting one. Because you know how you can get carried away by by your you know by the mood or the energy of a live performance, and then you're maybe slamming your compressor way harder than you were planning on, <laughs> on when you were uh, uh, setting it up for the for the performance is have, how do you do that how do you um, make sure it, it it doesn't go i have all wrong two couple of tools that i use one before i was using the auto bound the, the distorter that has a compressor mostly for the compressor rather than the distorter and now i'm working with this company called uh, mod devices that do these uh, pretty amazing tool called the mod duo x they do fear it's a pedal board very small it has usb hub so it keeps all of my keyboards working together it powered them and also you can build pedal boards and it's pretty pretty fantastic the way it can be simple or very convoluted and so i built a mastering chain inside of it with everything that I need uh, from, you know, limiter and, and compression and different stage of EQ. It's very simple, but basically uh, I, I send all the signal through that when I do live show or live, live streaming. And it's it, so far it works pretty fantastic. And then there's one plugin that I use a lot. I call, it's a Golfos uh, that has a, it's a sound theory Golfos and it's a, uh, sort like Sooth, that, that other plugin that check the resonance and 
make your signal better, I guess, all automatic. They did a new version that is for live with a 0.2 millisecond of latency, so you can use it really live and actually make... The, if you play live with just a stereo signal, it, it helps a lot with the, with the live show. Okay, but do you print? So you print everything with the effects on? Yes. So, okay. So, and you don't, you're not worried about uh, overdoing it at some point or you no. just go with whatever it does? No, because my music is very simple. It's not very, like, there's not a lot of, uh, it, it's very washed in the reverb and delay that has always that kind of ambient-ish vibe. Mm. So it doesn't really matter too much to me, the cleanliness, and I'm not such a big uh, sound designer so I, I go more for the mood general mood and if there's some imperfection let them be <laughs> yeah turn the features into the turn the bugs into features right yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's artistic choices yeah the, the masking issue is an interesting one like having having a solution for um controlling the live sound um uh, that's, a, that's a something i've been i've been Looking at as well, and when when I were playing our sync live shows, was always uh, a very important part of the of the setup. Um, what is so, that? Um, just you know, when you when you do a live show, that you want to have some sort of control over over your overall loudness and whatever comes out. It's, you know, it, um, I've always found that very important, especially for instance when you do a one or two hour live show in between two DJ sets. And the sound engineer doesn't really take your sound into account and changes nothing. Loudness-wise, there's a huge dip. Uh, the, well, dynamics, a, the, the, the dynamics, dynamics are bigger. Are, yeah, I was going to say much bigger. Yeah. The yeah. loudness is 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 in, in certain sound systems. You do hear that there's a bit of a of an, an imbalance between those two moments. Um, I obviously prefer the dynamic situation much more, but. Um, I do think it's important and also just a very interesting process to try and control the last um, step of that live setup and having some sort of mastering device in the chain right before you send your sound to the PA. I got so one nice API 500 lunchbox would be a yeah, great way to have a yeah. mastering device always uh, portable with you. Yeah. We did. We the last shows that we did together, Uwe and I, we always asked the promoter or the club or the venue to present us with some sort of mastering compressor. Mm -hmm. But um, turned out that this is quite a difficult thing to. <laughs> Everybody has a different idea about what that would yeah, be. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> some venues don't even know what a bus compressor is, so they, you know, they they just give you a standard DBX or something, which is not what you what you. Um, you know, ask for definitely. So it, it's a very I, this mod. I, I saw this pedal, um, this um, pedal you mentioned. So I'm definitely going to uh, uh, go deeper in, in that and check it out. Yeah, that it's would open, be a open, very portable, uh, very small solution yeah. for the big problem. It's, it's, it's an open source uh, also, and it has the possibility to run Max for live patches. So. Okay. Uh, it, it's it, the community is nice and it's still small though so they're trying to push it because the more people will participate and the more you will have you already have two or three hundred plugin that you can basically put in the in the thing but it can grow up and and uh, the idea is smart because basically you will have a usb hub so you can connect also you can connect a sound card to it so 
having in as much as you want. So, and it's controllable also with an iPad. So it can be a sort of uh, Interesting. live show unifier. And uh, and the more people will participate, the more they're going to be uh, yeah. probably plugin maker that will uh, start producing for that. My, my, my ideal situation would be to take my two distressors to every live show. So if, <laughs> if, if somebody, if somebody Put it on your write. rider, man. No distressors, no show. No distressors, no show. That would be no show, I think, then. In the <laughs> <end>. <laughs> uh, but yes, yeah, so it would be nice if, if, uh, if, if something similar is available digitally and then you can just you know, take a small box with you and, and off you go. Um, I was I was watching Stimming and uh, in one of his video and he had this device that is a Stimming mastering device and, and it was a brilliant solution. It was like a a, a sort of portable rack that had a EQ uh, and limiter and a compressor all together, and he was saying that they were trying to produce it just for live mm. show. So it's a mastering device to try to match, of course, all the dynamics to the yeah. DJ because he's in that kind of field. So. I'm surprised there's no products yet that uh, fill mm. that gaps. I've been looking, like, believe me, like it, I, I didn't never found something that truly mm. addresses the issue. Yep. Um, there's there's a few, you know, there's an Avalon compressor EQ uh, tube thing, I think, which is pretty nice, but doesn't have a limiter. Um, I mean, the limiter for me is the least important part. Um, I think it's what I would like when, you know, when you have a large live setup is to be able to just glue everything together at the end so that all these different machines, especially when you're playing with two people, can just can just come together because you're only com controlling one part of the setup and the other person is controlling the other part of the setup. So in the end, if there's some unifying factor at the end mm -hmm. of the chain, I, I find that very pleasant and it sort of helps. And I remember the last couple of shows we played, Uwa, we were even controlling the compression during the live show as well. When you, mm -hmm. you feel like you can pump it up a little bit more, okay, just play with the threshold a bit. And that that feeling of having that instant control and, and hearing the sound change in the venue, I find that very pleasant. It's, it's, a, yeah, it's fun. So the shows you did together, what, uh, what was the... Uh, the way you approached it, were there? Did you define roles for each person, or um, are you playing like tracks that you prepared before, or is it sort of improvised? What uh, what what kind of uh, approach did you More take? More of a there? hybrid hybrid situation where there were two live setups, so you just jam, mm -hmm. um, and then I would once in a while throw in a master track. So that's the the DJ part of the setup, but. I mean, that, that didn't happen. Um, I mean, the more we did the shows, the, the less important the, the, the DJ aspect became. The interesting element to me was that because um, Peter was controlling the final output, like he was controlling my sources, the sum of my sources and the sum of his sources. Um, and every now and then um, he was treating what I was doing um, as if it was a track that came off like a CD or something. Yeah. Um, like he could play around with what I was programming um, and layering it with his material or um, finalized tracks um, and treat everything like similar from a more like a, um, 
like he could step back and um, not necessarily be the one who was actually programming stuff, but looking upon what has been programmed by me, for example, and uh, work with that as if it was a different sound source, which was um, uh, pretty nice, actually. It gave like a different layer to what I'm normally doing when I'm playing alone, for example. Um, because he could then, like I said, step back and listen to what I was doing and like treat it as like an, an, a separate entity um, that he could then mix with his stuff and, and so on. So it was... The, the um, end, control, end control was also done by, with a DJ mixer, not a line mixer. Yeah. We had a line mixer on, on stage with all the instruments patched and we were both controlling that line mixer, but the end mix was done uh, as I would do a four-channel DJ mix, for instance. Yeah, it makes sense, absolutely. Yeah, it's more like, it's way more a performance tool than, than uh, if yeah. you have a line mixer, then it's more like a uh, studio situation. You can, you can do a performance on a, on a line mixer, of course, you know, dub style, but it's, uh, it's a bit slower. You can make bigger and faster movements on a, on a DJ mixer. Yeah. So it makes so sense, absolutely. Interaction yeah. between those two worlds is was was very uh, very interesting. I mean, there were times mm. where I would just have Uwe do all the sounds, you know, and and I would have some of my own loops going on, but they would be maybe just loops in Ableton, so not something I was programming in the moment. And I would just focus for thirty minutes on just a mix and the interaction between all the sounds, and then maybe the next thirty minutes. I go back to the line mixer, leave the channels open on the on the final mixer, and just you know jam together. It was a very um, it's a very loose uh, situation in in that way, but always coming back to having for me then the end control over the over the final mix, um, and and to have that compressor there, you know, still being able to tweak and tune things uh, compressing wise while you're making the sounds. I thought that was that was a very um, that was just a lot of fun. Sounds like a lot of fun for sure, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. funny how you when you play together more and more the more trust you gain in each other and, and let the other person just do what they do. You know? It's with collaborations like that, like live pro collaborations. Yeah, that's 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 probably the most rewarding thing about the whole the whole show for me is you, you just uh, you don't speak that often during the show as well because it's just it's just it just happens and you don't really need to talk it's very pleasant um, um, i sometimes just there was a few few moments where i just started laughing i was just observing uber for a while <laughs> how he was how he was working and i you just don't do anything for a bit and you just laugh because it's such a fun experience um, and you can see people enjoying themselves to it um, it's it's a very different situation from when you're out there just by yourself so. mm. I also wanted to add something uh, um, which, which may be related to the question of like the mastering for life. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I think we should differentiate um, a streaming situation maybe with, um, because streaming can always be repeated. If, uh, theoretically, it's a recording and you can repeatedly listen to it. While um, to me, the special thing about the live performance is that it's real time and it just passes. So there's no recording of that normally. You cannot go back really, necessarily, depends, but normally that's not the case. So this, in my opinion, brings a completely different uh, reality to the situation. And very often I realize that, especially talking about final stage sound, I, I, I think uh, of the long career I have playing, uh, having played music live, 
I sometimes had to say, for example, um, it happened quite a lot with different projects where I said after the show, it sounded terrible, but it was a great show. <laughs> um, and there was, it was in this moment about the energy uh, that was right, where if you would objectively look at it, um, even li listen to the recording or anything, you would say like, it was distorted, it had no dynamics, it had no sub-bass, it was too sharp, it was too loud, it was too in your face, but it was a great show. Like I had a great time, the audience had a great time, and there's still a another type of reality to it, to a live performance, which has more to do with the situation really, with the energy in the room. And if there's something happening there with um, between you and the music and the people and the PA and all that, and there's like a circuit it's like a feedback happening there. And very often, like super well-produced shows, you may say, yeah, kind of boring. Um, you know, so it's, to me, it's uh, knowing this. I'm, of course, it's very important to do everything right technically, to try to do, to do it as well as possible. But I think everybody who has performed mm -hmm. live knows that situation that you're standing there and you're doing something. And even though there's technically everything is right, you feel that there's something missing and maybe I often call it like, and now I need the energy and the energy is very often this kind of like, fuck it. Um, and now it has to clip and, and I'm going to the red because otherwise uh, I cannot get the energy. Uh, you know, I, and then you may go back to like a, a normal, well-sounding um, stage, but I think being dirty and like over the top um, and like um, not correct um, very often is also part of it and that's why i think it's a tricky balance between two being too controlled on stage and like being too clean and too good and everything is too nice and too perfect um, one may lose this other dimension of really feeling the audience and feeling the sound and feeling are you really there like is it really are you really happy with it or is there something missing and especially if you're like playing under not so great conditions, which is pretty frequent, I would say. <laughs> um, um, of course, the ideal world is you're having a great sound system and you listen to the 15 hertz and it's, it's incredible. But very often it's like um, your sub bass ends at around 60. And uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, so what are you doing? I mean, your whole, this whole ideal world of how you wish it should be isn't there. Will, it will not happen that night. So you, you need a different angle to it, um, which you can only, I think, reach with um, yeah, energy and attitude and mm. um, other elements which have nothing to do with the pure technical side of it. So I think on one end, it's always, like I said, super important to do it as good as possible and hope for the, hope for the best. But you need a plan B and, um, and C and D probably. And, and so if you're like too stuck up with this idea, when well, you go on stage, you press play and it sounds shit. Um, it would be a reason to get really depressed and I don't know, play a terrible show for you as well, not only for the audience, but it's like completely downhill from there. That's actually the trick, eh? That's actually the trick. If I mean, you you can end up on a stage and and uh, and you know, even though the sound check might have sounded good, you, you you start there and it's 
all falls apart when you start and it sounds terrible. Mm. I mean, that, that's that's the moment where you where your uh, experience, I guess, uh, or yeah. your your own confidence comes in. You know, if you think, okay, well, this is clearly not happening. Let's just let's just try something completely different, or you know, mm. throw in some uh, some radical uh, techniques. You know, to make it work. You know, to, to still make it work. I mean, being that's the question you, you should never you should never expect anything really when you play live. Yeah. You should never really yeah. have any expectations. You know, that's the wrong attitude to have in in the first place. You should just yeah, go in yeah. there and make it fucking happen. You know, and and no would, matter I how. <laughs> I would expand that not only on live uh, playing live, but on life in general. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. When, when I was just doing it, uh, it was it was always like that. My experience was like I, I played 15 years touring with bands and uh, metal stuff mostly, and uh, there's probably three times that I did the, the sound check, and then the moment of the show, things were sounding nice. It's always been a mess, also because we are always drunk, but <laughs> it's it's just like. Then you had the experience, also you have the, ba the band, then you have the, the energy. And it, it was what I really was afraid on, on the electronic side. When you go up, up stage by yourself, it's really easy to get uh, anxious and uh, afraid that you need to overperform because people are just watching at you. So uh, you really need to let go of all of the expectation, as you said, so uh, Jochen, because otherwise it, it's it's really killing all the good vibe and the enjoyment of playing live. Mm. The experience I mean, is important to, 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 be, to be there when you are in such a moment where things don't happen. Then I think the experience helps to keep you, you just calm, you stay calm and you just observe what's going on. And then you, you know, you, I think you, most of the time you know pretty fast that, okay, this is not, going how it was planned i need to turn this around somehow and i remember maybe 15 years ago i would have panicked or mm. i would have i would have i would have been um, unable to find a solution in the moment uh, whereas you know uh, after that i i would i would not be too worried and if something doesn't work usually when i'm playing solo my trick is to just to let it run for a bit Exactly. Not do, any, not do anything. <laughs> yeah. Just repeat it. Anything that is repeated sounds better yeah. after a while. <laughs> and, then, and then you just you just double that, and suddenly people are suddenly the click happens. You know, this happens so many times where you 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 realize in the end, for instance, when you listen to the live record, the recording of your live show, that actually the magic wasn't happening because you were doing way too many things in the beginning, mm. or you were you were trying to get somewhere too fast, and that's usually. When this happened to me, that was the case. So my, my solution was just to do nothing. Yeah, uh, sometimes you have to to let things breathe, you know, and just um, uh, just have them take their course and and just trust that it will be, uh, uh, you know, that you will that it will level out in some way. And then, and of course, if you if you do too much, like you said, uh, you sound like you're panicking. So if you yeah. if you just uh, be more, uh, if you have more restraint on what you do. Um, you know, you sound. It sounds more confident, and it's also more sort of um, reassuring for yourself. Okay, you know, this is, I'm not dying. It's still going. <laughs> and then, of it's course, you can you can start. Yeah, you can st start taking turns again, and and sort of bring the energy back. And you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's there's so many relaxing. tricks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm curious to know if in your career there's always been one one uh, 
day that it went so well you had to stop completely. So well that you had to stop? No, that it went so bad, sorry. Oh, so bad, okay. You didn't know how to get out of a bad situation and you had to stop. No, I've never, I've never stopped because I had a, you know, I fucked up. Uh, no, a performance. <laughs> no, I, I mean, there's of course. I mean, everybody who's been on stage for for many times, sometimes you walk off stage with a terrible feeling uh, because you thought you were you're fucking it up, you know. And uh, it's funny though, you know. Some sometimes you get you go off stage and people say, "Ah, oh, this was amazing," and you know you were shit, <laughs> you know. You know it was ter it was terrible, and then you know I I know I was terrible, so don't tell me anything, you know. And and the other way around is true too, you know. If you think, "Wow, I I was really into it at the moment," and then you get a sort of really mild reaction and it's not really happening but you know that you were that you yeah 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 <laughs> it's interesting, interesting like good set bell. yeah <laughs> interesting set yeah interesting yeah mm -hmm. yeah but i mean it's it is um uh yeah that's just the nature of of um doing live performances i get you know uh, i guess it's um <laughs> great set man <laughs> um you know, it's just uh, uh, sometimes it, it, it all happens and sometimes it doesn't, you know. It, that's just the nature of the game, I guess. But, um, yeah, f uh, I, I think um, I think there are many tricks to, to retain that uh, the, a certain level of communication. I think that's the, that's the best thing you learn after a while, you know, to still communicate something even though you think you're not doing the best you can. You, you have to find ways to still get something across you know whatever it is true i mean the issue is sometimes also that there's not too many people out there who want to communicate with you i mean sometimes you play for an audience that is just not yeah com with communicating somehow. i mean like broadcasting something like uh, uh broadcasting an energy you know like uh having some something going on in the, in the room it's, i mean it's, it needs to be a a two-way communication and yeah and, i mean I've, I've played for audiences which did not felt like wanting to communicate with me. <laughs> I had the impression, I mean, some nights are just not meant to be. Uh, and, and that's a different situation, I find, because you can measure that too. And then you can sort of quickly figure out, okay, it's not going to happen for them tonight. Um, I'm just going to make sure that I enjoy myself. And then maybe a part of that enjoyment will reflect on a part of the audience mm. that does want to make it happen. Um, I've been in those situations as well, where you know the majority of the audience is just not interested. They're having beers and they're, they're chatting and they're dancing maybe a little bit, but not too much. Um, that's a completely other situation than you not doing your best performance in front of an audience which actually wants to communicate with you and wants to have that dynamic uh, and, and that interaction with you. Um, they're, they're, that's a, a much more profound way of panicking, I find. <laughs> yeah. they, they, they're actually out there, they want to listen to me and I'm not doing a good job. Yeah. Well, you know, and then there is, I mean, they, these are just uh, a few of the variables. There are so many other variables, you know, like uh, your listening position uh, versus the listening position of the audience, you know, the acoustics in the room, uh, what you are hearing versus what they are hearing, you know, monitor versus PA, stuff like that. You know, it's all that can all contribute to being uh, on the exact same level as your audience and, and, you know, having a hard time getting to that level. You know, it's a... Uh, um, there's so many more <laughs> variables. Who plays, before, who plays before you? Who sets the yeah. tone before yeah, yeah, you? I yeah. mean, it's, it's you know, it's a very complex. Um, it's a very complex. And sometimes the stars align. 
and everything is wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, uh, I think it's uh, for me personally much more enjoyable to do it with someone um, uh, than 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 just by myself. The live performance, uh, just because I enjoy it more. Um, it, it, it's just, uh, and you can do longer shows. You know, when you're when you're with two people, when when I'm by myself, a two-hour live show, that's about it. If it's a hybrid set, all night long, no problem. You know, because you have a DJ aspect built in to that show. But a, a live set, solo, I think you know, more than two hours is not possible. And I enjoy difficult doing to. long shows. You know, it's difficult. I I enjoy doing long shows. And if you if you're playing with two, you know, one or two other people. There's moments where you can just tune out for half an hour and mm. go and have a snack in the in the backstage. You know? <laughs> the Circle of Life is is the is the best example where we, we play with four people, five people sometimes. I think you, um, yeah, you can just go and have a beer for half an hour and let the other three jam. Um, I, th I think it's an amazing an amazing setup. Yep. Absolutely. Relaxed, you know, you know, it, yeah. it, it, it makes for a very relaxed um, uh, approach of what is in essence a very complex uh, issue playing yeah um, maybe let's take this opportunity to um, say that we are not ignoring ignoring the audience <laughs> if you have anything to ask us or say to us um, please feel free to do so um, and then we'll uh, we'll get back to your questions um, hopefully <laughs> um, yeah what else guys um I, th I actually I wanted to ask you, uh, Peter. You you posted this um, uh, picture of this System 100. Is that something that is in your studio at the moment? Um, it's not in my studio at the moment. It's in at Marco's studio. Uh, it's a system I I've bought together with uh, Marco, who was on uh, the show last week. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. One of one of my favorite instruments. Yeah, yeah, we. Uh, I have here. I have one too here, and 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 it's it's just incredible. Like when uh, Uwe asked me last uh, before the in the pre-chat, what's your favorite waveform? That's and I oh. I answered sine wave. That's the sine wave I was uh, referring to in my head. You know. Well, if I say <laughs> if I say square wave, that's a square wave. I yeah, have. exactly. Yeah. It has the best square wave in the business. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe I should explain what this is about. Uh, Uwe just uh, uh, told it, asked us in the in the pre-chat what was our favorite waveform, and um, actually it's a it's a hard one if if they get if you get asked that like straight of out of nowhere you know um and uh, maybe we can explain why you asked it because you're working on a website where you um basically asked this question to um a bunch of people and then yeah um, the answers are quite remarkable like uh, especially why the answers are like they are well the story goes uh, it's again a story that's related to um the labyrinth festival um uh, john elliott um asked this question, I think it was five or six years ago, or like out of the blue. Uh, I think it was after I had performed the day after or something like that. Out of the blue, he asked me, so what's your favorite waveform? Um, and it completely blew my mind because I had to think about it for the first time. I never thought about it. Mm. And it turned to the question. I got so intrigued by that question because it made me think about it um, that I then started to, or we both, uh, Peter, uh, John and, and I started to ask the other musicians and colleagues which were at, uh, at the festival, like Peter and others, the same question. And uh, it was a lot of fun to, it was, it was also very interesting to, 
connect the answer with the person, sometimes with or sometimes without knowing her or his music, and then getting into a dialogue about the reason why. Um, there's also a, a broad spectrum of um, answers and reasons. It can be really anything. It doesn't, and it doesn't. The question doesn't imply anything specific. Like you don't have to justify. You don't have to tell tell me why or what's the reason behind it. No, and but the cool thing is that the, the the question does invoke these these uh, longer yeah. answers, you know, and and to think about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I even had people. Uh, I asked the same question semi-random people I met at a festival, like a mix of people I knew, musicians I knew, with bystanders. And I asked a question in the round and people started actually fighting um, <laughs> over it. Like this one guy, he was getting into mathematical arguments about Fourier synthesis and um, how like, um, I don't know, the mathematical proportion of a square wave can never equal a sine wave, some blah, blah, blah. And and I just stood there and I was like, holy shit, um, you know, <laughs> what have I done? People, take it, people <laughs> taking it really seriously. And some people really think about it. Um, I had never thought about it really from, a, let's say, um, a sound engineering perspective, for example. It was more like a gut feeling decision in my, on my side until I really thought about it. And so I decided to make this um, very simple um, a website, which is called Fave Wave. Es, waves. Yeah, Sander um, just posted the link in the in the comments. So it's uh, yeah. uh, favewave.es. Have a look there. Yeah. It's, and uh, it's just uh, it's just the basic um, waveform symbols and the names of the people I ask, and with a little dot which indicates their um, reply. And um, it's just it it's just like it doesn't um, mean anything really. It's not it's not an analysis or um, any kind of statement. It's more like um, I found it really, really intriguing and interesting to ask uh, people and get their opinions. It also, if you know their music, it, uh, it gives a different aspect on, you know, their making and their thinking. And uh, then there is stuff like the sine wave people, right? Um, <laughs> uh, it's a certain... I, it's, it's, you're, you're amongst them. Yeah, I mean, if I, I'm, you know, I wish I had more time to think about it. But I, I told you the sine wave was my instant sort of initial uh, mm. reaction, and then of course I motivated it with the fact, you know, okay, sine wave is like the the basic thing. You can pretty much make everything from a sine wave or a bunch of sine waves, whatever. Mm. Um, but uh, but if I, it was it would be like an image or an attitude thing, I would say noise, you know. But mm -hmm. it's funny to uh, uh, you know now I've made the choice sine wave. Okay, now I'm a, I'm forever the sine wave guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, the question is, are you a sine wave guy? The question is, are you a sine wave guy? Because it's it's a specific kind of. Um, um, types of people uh, very often which have like this kind of purist um, approach it's an almost like philosophical philosophically, philosophically speaking a, a kind of like a platonic uh, background um, and then the people coming from the other end you know it's more like uh, I don't know I like noise and I like to subtract uh, rather than to add uh, sine waves and so on and so on Yeah. but uh, other people just replied like without any specific um, aesthetic reason, you know. So, uh, like, up until this point, uh, until, uh, until the point I was asked the question, I always ended up 
automatically with a sawtooth, no matter what I did. Um, like on the 303, I would be on stage with a TB303 and I would like play around with it. And there's the switch, like, you know, mm. um, saw, square, and I always ended up on, on, on saw, no matter, not, not even thinking about it. It was like, oh, I like this better. I just liked it better. It's like, I don't know. And after having um, thought about the question, I really, um, I forced myself into square um, and I really like it now. Like, um, I, I completely switched from, um, thank you, Peter, yes. Uh, <laughs> I really switched more consciously um, in the sound design process uh, to different waveforms. Um, but it's not necessarily how people see waveforms. Like, I've spoken to many people that have no, let's say, technical sound design background. They don't know, actually, what's the difference between a sine and a square like in terms of sound design, you know, they just like go from feeling, you know, um, I like this. It just sounds more like, like Federico said, it sounds more round. A lot of people say this as, this as well. It sounds more smooth or it sounds more edgy. So it's a very different a approach to, um, to, to the very same question. And I just found it very fascinating to, you know, discuss it with people. Absolutely, yeah. It's a really fun exercise, and I, I see people in the comments now dropping their uh, favorite uh, what what is their favorite wave. So uh, yeah, keep doing it. It's uh, it's fun to see who, where how many people are in my uh, in my sign camp. <laughs> so Aura, you said sign as well, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I never thought about like I can do everything with a sign wave. No, I'm not that technical, but it's just very soothing and. Uh, whenever I reach for a new instrument, new synth, I always start with the sine wave. I really enjoy it. So that's uh, just a simple reason. Okay. It, it just yeah, make me feel good. Let's say that. Yeah, that's sign of the reason. times. <laughs> <laughs> and Peter, what's yours? Square. Because you're the square guy. Absolutely. <laughs> Any particular reason, or is it uh, just a, um, I, a sonic thing? It's the sonic thing, not much uh, anything to do with, you know, the synthesis aspect of it. Um, I've always enjoyed the sound of a bass line, like as opposed to Uwe, I would always take the square switch on the 303 um, um, because I just enjoy that sound. When filtered right, it has a much more funky feeling for my, for me, for my ears. This... You know what the what the Detroit guys used to do, what Derek May used to do on the old Transmat records, this bow, 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 this low, bubbly square wave of you know filtered through through um, a nicely fast modulated filter. That sort of funky. I'm a bass player uh, originally, so I I, I was um, for a long time really into you know playing the funk bass, slapping and pulling and all that, and for some reason. Square waves filtered properly reminds me of that sort of slappy, very funky, staccato way of playing bass. Um, and so I've always had that that sound associated in my head. And when I long time ago figured out that that was actually a square wave, and then when John Elliott asked me, what's your favorite wave? Yeah, it's a square wave. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean you can you can uh, you can philosophize 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 uh, what's the word? Uh, anyway, you can think about it forever. <laughs> uh, square methods, of course, is a square, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but 
but yeah, it's, but it's, 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 as you say, you, you can you can have you can give it a, a very rational or, or or even philosophical explanation, um, which is totally understandable. Like a sine wave is indeed a very yeah. useful uh, waveform, um, but f for me, it's more like oh, I I have this sound, so my favorite sound is that sound, and so mm. you know that, that that's something which is more historical, I suppose, than yeah. than than linked to any sound design or, or compositional practice. Um, I, memory is a very important aspect of music, I find. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, mean I, I, was, I was literally thinking about that uh, System 100 sine wave because that's just mm. such a beautiful sound, you know? It's, it's like, and, yeah. uh, and it's, uh, you know, no matter how low you tune it, you know, it always stays in the same kind of level or pressure you know what i mean it's yeah. um yeah. it's just an incredible instrument it's just it's uh, it's insane how how warm and and deep it is you know it's um, it's it's uh, a, it's it's, an, it's um, a standard which i think roland never really attained after that um mm. uh, it took it took a long time for us to to have all the parts of of the system together for a long time the only piece that that was missing was the mixer right. and i um i finally after having completed the rest of the system already two or three years previous, um, I finally found this, uh, a mixer in Australia and <laughs> bought it on places. eBay. I bought it on eBay Australia, had a friend of mine in Australia take care of the, the, the shipment and all that. And then it was waiting for me. So when my next Australia tour happened, I took this huge uh, um, pillowcase case with me, which was empty, and uh, flew with this thing to Australia, did the tour, and then in the end went to Sydney, picked it up, and that moment bringing back the mixer and putting it next to the rest of the instrument and, and lining it all up was was a very rewarding moment. Um, nice. Because the mixer as well adds a very particular sonic quality to the whole thing, also a lot of noise. But yeah, it is, it's noisy. It, it's, it's, just, <laughs> it's just the whole thing is thought out really well, and it's made with... Um, it's made during a time when... I think the commercial aspects of synthesizer building were not that big yet. So you feel a lot of inherent passion for the music and the instrument um, in, in the design and in the way it sounds and in the way it was built. The sliders are super nice. Everything's rock solid. It feels like a Rolls Royce. Yeah, like a Bentley. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just immaculate. And we had hours serviced uh, and, and you know, it just runs. It just does its thing. It sounds beautiful has all kinds of nice modulating options and there's a fantastic sample in hold in there. It's a, it's just a joy to work with. Um, I absolutely agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, do you have the speakers with it as well? No. no. Okay. Okay. That's the only thing where I, I could have gone the next mile and then, okay, so now we got the mixer. Now the last thing that we need is the speakers, but yeah. somehow, <laughs> somehow I, I, I was like, no, don't need it. Um, yeah, well, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm I, I don't say... collector, but it's more for me that, about the instrument itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well. Yeah, when Do I got it, like... Speakers? Yeah, yeah, well, I got it ages ago for, for when, when these things were just basically just uh, dirt cheap, you know? And mm -hmm. I got the whole system with everything included, with the sequencer, the, the two synths and the mixer and two speakers. Yeah. And... Um, um, yeah, I mean, the, <clears throat> the speakers are, are nice. It's the same as with the ARP 2600, you know. If you use the speakers as part of the patch and you mic them or you have the, the, the reverb sort of resonate through the machine and, and, and uh, by having the speakers on, it sort of gets feedback and everything. It adds a little bit to it, you know. It's not, mm. uh, it's not like a huge thing, but it's, um, 
it makes it uh, sound more like itself in a way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I can see that. But it's 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 um it's a beauty. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's a joy to work with. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, any, let's see, what what else do we got? Um, yeah, I, w I wanted to talk about um, tape because uh, Federico has got this tape machine in the mm -hmm. in the back, and um, I mean, yeah. have we? Oh, two! Wow, Ooh, nice. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> I mean, um, like we were talking in the beginning about uh, restricting, you know, making restrictions to to get. Um, uh, to limit yourself and to get things um, going in a way, um, have you have any of you done that with tape, like actual tape splicing and and um, make compositions or collages out of out of tape like that? Yeah, my very first album, um, which I recorded in 1988 until 1990 in a studio, I had no ideas about studio at all. Um, I, like I relied on people helping me with the recording and everything. And the only way to actually arrange the tracks um, was uh, through tape splicing. Um, and I had, I knew what I wanted in terms of arrangement and I could mix all the different parts, but then somebody else had to splice them for me, had to put them together. So, and I had no idea about that technique at all. Um, so I had to look at this person doing it for the first couple of times. And then I found, I found it really annoying to tell that person, that engineer in the studio, if I wasn't happy with an edit, like we would listen to it and I would hear something that wasn't well edited, like a couple of millimeters or something. And I was like, I can hear the attack of that snare drum. And he had to go back and be revising the edit and stuff. And I felt really uncomfortable having to do that, like having somebody else to do it over and over again. And at some point I, I decided to learn it and I just looked at it and had a couple of things explained to me. And then I did it uh, by myself after that point. And ever since, I think for another two years more than I had a tape machine uh, rented and all the stuff I did in my home studio, then the only way to achieve um, complex arrangement was with tape editing. So actually, whenever like kids ask me now about production and stuff, um, what's what's your advice? What should I do? And I think it's super important for anybody to learn to work on a limited system that's destructible. Um, just to force yourself into a work method where you have to actually cut something and it breaks and you cannot go back. There's not an undo. Um, it was a super... Um, revealing thing to do. I mean, there was no choice back then. That was the way you did it. I mean, you could save the little snippets and the floor was full of like little bits and pieces of tape and stuff, but it was impossible really to undo anything. Um, it was a real pain in the ass. And um, after that, ever since then, I started to work digitally with undos and whatever. That kind of um, method had stuck with me. Like, um, I... I even even until now, until today, I um, I always I think I have learned a lot from that um, rigidness and from that kind of like discipline you need and focus. Uh, you have to be super clear on your decisions. And um, even my first digital recorder had only one undo, 
which uh, was maybe even more fatal than the tape. Um, <laughs> and it was um, super important to take decisions, go like, okay, that's, that's it. Um, I cut this, I stick this together, and that's the way it's going to be. Uh, and maybe I, I have no chance to go back. Um, and I do this, what we spoke about before, um, at the beginning of our conversation, uh, not keeping the MIDI, for example, like erasing the pattern. Um, I still do this as well. It's like I, I don't care too much in many, many cases to save the backups and the versions and the MIDI data and the how-to and the presets and the effects. And I mean, it's, <laughs> it's insane if you really want to go back. And what I learned also is even if you can go back, I think with the first studio I had that had some sort of recall, I then realized that I had changed from the last recall to the next. So even if you could theoretically recall everything, you, you hear it differently. Um, and then you go like, was it really that? And you start doubting about your recall. And so this whole recall thing and uh, the undos never were that important for me. But as I see that nowadays it's kind of like built in. Like you get your computer, you get your drum machine and there's infinite um, you know, ways to undo stuff. And I don't, I think it's a very, everybody should go through a phase, you know, like I'm, I'm erasing this, I'm not saving this, I'm recording this. Mm. Um, it, I think it's really um, um, a very, very creative thing to do. Yeah, I, I agree with you when, when you say, uh, you know, this whole uh, way of arranging things with tape. So putting things in a certain order uh, stuck with you in, in later on when, we, when you started working with computers. And I can, I can say I have the same thing. I, I did the, the tape arranging and tape splicing things as well. But then the next thing after that was um, sort of MPC style song building, like, you know, chaining patterns and stuff. And it's, in a way that's similar, you know. It, mm -hmm. um, it, you, can, you can undo it, of course, and you can swap things around, but it's... Um, it's still not like fixed into a timeline. It's it's like a, you know a sort of legoing parts together in a in a way you know just sort of chaining things, and that also has a more permanent uh, character than um, you know having things uh, in front of you on a screen on on one big timeline or something. You so, need to and, be clear and, on your decisions, as Uwe says. There's no like, I'm yeah. going to try this. If it doesn't work, I'll just do it again. And no, you, exactly. You decide, you like, okay, this is, this is the pattern I'm going to start with. Okay, what's next? Okay, now I'm going to do this one, then I'm going to do this one. So it's, it's, you make this order and you, you basically decide for yourself, okay, so this is the order, I'm sticking to it. And um, even, even if you can go back, I find myself, or found myself when I was using that kind of sequence method, I never really did go back, you know. It was like, okay, you make every step of the process as a conscious decision and you stick with it and that's it. And it, and, and it never changes, you know. So it's, a, it's also a form of commitment. And, um, and it, it, it definitely stuck with me uh, even now because now I'm, I'm totally not scared to chop out like uh, 10 minutes of a, of a jam and just say goodbye for it, to it forever, you know, just uh, go on, delete it forever, bye-bye. <laughs> stuff like mm. that you know yeah. so it does it does make a difference if you if you yeah learn to do things with um like it's this you, yeah destructive editing basically that as you called it yeah mm. what about you peter any tape um, experience tape splicing stories? no but i remember when i was um involved with my first band we uh, we recorded the, f the first real recordings we did was on a, a Tascam was it porta studio four track 
um, where basically you need to bounce the tracks to make up, you know, to, to make create more room, yeah, for more, you know. And then obviously you have a degrading quality if you your tape is not the best quality, and the more bounces you do slowly, your your recording quality is dropping. But that that also is this has the same impact where you you need to bounce things together, and when they're bounced, they're bounced, and there's no undo. They're you know written in in tape, and um, if at the end of the session you know um, it doesn't sound right. Well, okay, we reconvene next week and we do the same thing over again. Yeah, and, uh, or, you know, the, I, I could totally relate to that. And what I actually think is what I found, what I find most of the times is when you commit to something and it's um, once it is bounced or once it is printed in, in a way um, and it further on down the line, it doesn't quite fit because maybe there's too much bass in it or there's, you know, a sort of uh, some tone or some blend of things going on in there that that you would rather have, you know, edited earlier in the stage. But the, the fixing process of making it work uh, even with the mistakes in it or with the imperfections sometimes introduces a lot of character and a lot of uh, identity, you know. So you, you know, it's not that you have to always just accept what it has become, but you can also fix it and try to uh, still mold it in a, in a way. You know, of course, you have way less possibilities because you're dealing with a stereo file, and and that's all you have, you know, to work with. But the fixing and the sort of adjusting and making it work introduces some kind of uh, yeah. fixing vibe to the to the sound file. You know what I mean? That is also in its in itself an aesthetic that I like. Sometimes I, I, I experience a similar situation sometimes when I go through older files, um, and I, I find I find sounds or loops or uh, things that consist out of more than one sound in one stereo file, which I didn't want to use, but it doesn't sound right or there's a there's a problem with the recording. And then by now, I have enough experience um, to just say, tell myself, okay, but then just fix it. We'll fix it. And through the fixing of this, something new comes out. And, you know, we have so many tools at our disposal today that you can actually go in there and, you know, still make something good out of it. Back in the day, when I'm talking about the Porta Studio time, we didn't have the knowledge to do anything to it. I mean, we were happy that we didn't screw up the whole recording process. <laughs> so if, if in the end there was a stereo file of what the band did that weekend, we were, we were, we were pretty happy. Um, it's, all, it's, only, it's only later that I realized that working with that technology um, does teach you certain values or techniques which um yeah i'm still using today as as i think all four of us uh, have a similar view on on um, on how that impacts our current uh, workflow and process yeah i mean the thing is you know so, so, i mean talking about stuff like this to people who are you know um who ask questions about production techniques and stuff like that you know i mean um i i would I would dare to say that all of us are uh, half of the time uh, not arriving at the perfect spot, you know, in in the process, and and often are, you know, uh, just fixing fixing things or do, doing things to 
you know, to sort of get in the area or in the ballpark of where we want it, but we never arrive at the perfect spot. And at some point, you have to kind of accept it, you know, and yeah. move on. <laughs> and I mean, I then, it's, it's, and it's pretty pointless to to ask the question: How exactly did you get there? Because that's not really, you know, the you can explain, but it's what is the value in that, you know? I mean, one thing I would like to add is that I, I always try to push it as far as I can go. That's why a few years ago I started mastering my own music, just to be able to have that extra bit of control over the, the entire thing. Um, and, and obviously, even then, you know, there's always a point where you need to let it go and where you have to say goodbye and send it out into the world, um, um, if you so desire to. But I, I do... I'm in that aspect quite a quite a big control freak. So I really try to go <laughs> as far as I can just to, to get everything right um, before I, you know, then face up to the uh, the thing that always is in front of you, where you need to say, "Look, now you have to let it go. It's done. Bye. Ciao." Yeah, it's a good moment to be able to do. I that. mean, doing it as good as possible as you can in the moment. And then I think there happens, I think the magical thing is that through the process itself of making something, you become somebody else who transcends the very thing you have just done. So by definition, you must become kind of frustrated by the very thing you just made. I mean, it's kind of like, otherwise you wouldn't be able to progress, which is kind of like the idea, at least for me. So it's kind of like the so-called frustration or um, I think it's kind of built in and, um, and necessary. It's just a question of, uh, I don't know, personal obsession maybe. And uh, in my case, I think I'm very happy always with something like for a week. Like I did the best I could to something or with something and like um, I don't let go and I really, you know, go deep and then you get tired of it and you get annoyed of it. And then there's a point where you have to let it go, where you go like, okay, I can't say anything more to that. I did really the best I could. And then I enjoy it like for a week. And then after that, I'm going like, oh shit. <laughs> uh, yeah. I always, uh, I always call that, that moment uh, that I'm temporarily satisfied. That's usually yeah, the yeah. best you can get. Yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah. But it's also, uh, if, not, if you're it's lucky, also you're, not. yeah. It's also not a problem. I mean, if, if you like, when I just started and this happened to me the, for the first time, I thought it was much more serious. <laughs> I thought I, I had committed like a really big mistake in, with something. And then uh, you get better and better. And after a while, you're like, I think, pretty good at something. So it's, you're pretty sure that it's, you've really done the best you could at the time being. Uh, and then that what comes afterwards, kind of like you know that it's going to happen and it's not that such, such a problem anymore. You know, it's even kind of interesting to see where what you suddenly then hear, like after two or three weeks, uh, suddenly you hear something completely different and you go like, wow, how could I have done that? Um, you know, it's completely wrong. And for some reason I have done it. I don't really completely understand myself back then. It's also because you distance yourself from yourself. <laughs> um, which is all super exciting, you know, especially if you look um, briefly mentioned early in the discussion was um, that word or the definition of what's a good track. Like, you know, uh, are you happy when, when you're in the flow and you come up with a good track? I totally gave up on really judging upon what a good track 
when something worked or it didn't work, it's just completely fuzzy for me. You're like I have best, a, one is not the best judge of one's own music. No, also. no, no. And I, I've gotten, I have had very different reactions to my own stuff. Uh, the, the very same track in different time distances. Um, listen to the same stuff after two weeks, uh, after one year, after five years, after seven years, and I have completely different opinions about it between like really loving it and really hating it or not understanding it at all. <laughs> and, I'm, and so I realized that uh, there is no, there's almost no objective for oneself, uh, almost no objective um, analysis of your own work and um, it's much more important maybe to understand the process itself and not be so fixated on the outcome itself i mean it's it must be the fixation of course otherwise you wouldn't do it but uh, um, let's not forget the process itself it's a part of the process and it's kind of like this kind of dynamic system um, which which you you know which you're part of so I think the frustration is kind of like, it's called it frustration. I mean, but like the negative aspect of creation is kind of necessary. I, I, at least for me, it's like a driving force. Like your, pri your personal insufficiencies are kind of like pushing you next time to make, it, to make something to learn from it and make it better. Yeah, absolutely. It brings you automatically to the question of the ego within the, the this whole um, discussion, you know, because the, the not being satisfied, the not being able to judge one's own uh, uh, music or output, um, I think inevitably it always leads back to the ego, which is there and which needs to be satisfied in some way or the other. And maybe by focusing more on a process and on the interaction between different elements, so not only you as the master of everything, but you as a part of a much bigger story, then I think you will find a much more liberating um, um, way of working. That's at least what I've been trying to do, not always succeeding. Uh, but I've been thinking a lot about that. Um, and removing that out of the equation has helped me, for instance, in um, dealing much better with how the outside world perceives what I do. I don't care that much anymore, to be honest. And I really had to work at that. And uh, I, on, I only got to that point when I realized that actually this whole thing of me not being happy with my own music means that maybe I'm not happy that it's going out into the world because I feel insecure about it. Why do I feel insecure about it? Well, that leads back to your whole ego situation because the ego needs to be pampered and needs to be told that yeah, you're the best, you're doing really good. Once you take that out or you try to, to remove a big chunk of it, you're no longer that much concerned with that output situation and then for me it became also easier to accept my own music and to say look it might not be what i think it should be but somehow if i try to look at it from a neutral perspective i think it's ready to go out into the world and then let it just be it's no longer me it's now its own thing and it's you know it goes into the world and people will listen to it and they will form a relationship with it which is sometimes completely different in a perspective sense than what i have with it And it oh, it's always helped. different. Yeah. yeah, it definitely helped me. Well, I have people who sometimes talk to me about my music, and I, I'm stunned because they exactly get what I was trying to put together there. It doesn't happen mm. so often. Um, 
it rarely happens in reviews. That's why I, I basically took a lot of distance from reviews and, and criticisms. Um, but once in a while, you meet someone who says that what you did there, and then a little description, and you're like, "Ooh, you got it." Most of the time, people interpret it in a very different way, and that's okay. That's you know, that's part of the whole thing. But I found that by taking a step back and removing your own ego out of the equation, things become way easier in the sense of acceptance and and um, just letting it go. Just let it go. Yeah, I, also, I mean, that's true. I, yeah. Oh, sorry, Uwe. Yeah. No, no also, yes, I completely agree with you, Peter. Um, and, and I would add that there's a, in my case at least, there's a second layer, which has nothing to do with the music being out there or not. I very often I, I review my own stuff, um, just if, for me personally, without any opinion. Hmm. And it surprises me how differently I perceive stuff. Um, always, of course, trying to have an almost like objective, neutral attitude towards it. Like, and I really wonder, you know, you, you spend weeks mixing something and you're, con you're convinced it's like the best you can do. Yeah. And then you hear, listen to it back uh, a month later and it's completely different. And I'm like, what the fuck? Um, how could that be possible? Um, you know, like from a very objective point of view. And it has a lot to do, I try to analyze what's going on. It has a lot to do with your daily mood, maybe um, also how focused you are, how able you are to, how, how good you hear this day, you know, or what you hear. Sometimes you, your, your hearing focuses on different stuff. Somebody, somebody in the comments uh, just wrote, so basically one should not identify with the music being created more like something you witnessed happening. I think that's very correct. I mean, in, in, a, in a very platonic yeah. way, I've always thought that the musician is not the one who creates, it's more like the one who mediates. And if you take that approach, then the one who mediates is not that terribly important. So the whole thing about, you know, the musician and the artist being put on a pedestal as, ooh, you know, fantastic, those, the, the magician who creates something out of nothing, I've never really believed in that. You, you, there's something there and you channel it and then you give it a form and then it goes out into the world, whether it's listened to or not, or whether it's looked at or not depending on what kind of art you are making, that's not so important. And I, I think that helps you when you see that you yourself are not that important in this whole process as you thought you were. That helps you just being more relaxed in this process. And then, as you say, the process becomes a much more interesting thing. I want yeah, and a more... Uh, sorry. <laughs> I was, I was going to say the, the only uh, thing that I find valuable is not what other people think, you know, at all, to be honest, but what, uh, how much it meant to me while I was working on it, you know. So if I have good memories on uh, working on a certain project, that is what stays with me and not the, you know, the external things that could, uh, could impose value on it. I don't, I don't really care about it. But do you feel that um, your your memory, of, let's put it that way, um, of of how you made it and the circumstances of when you made it, um, are they centered around who you were in that moment, or are they centered around? I don't know. Yeah, sure. It's a it's a or? snapshot. It's a snapshot. You know, it's a. Um, um, uh, you capture a moment in time that's what you were thinking or uh, wanting to do at that time and uh, those were your thoughts your ideas and the process blah 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 
and uh, that's what came out fine you know <laughs> that's that's all it is you know it's there's nothing more to it um, I I'm, I'm pretty detached from from all these things to be honest hmm. that's I think that's the best way to to then move through through the process um, I, I found myself in, in the beginning of my career way too obsessed with needing to have a clear value judgment on my own music from myself and therefore just being stuck um, and, and being way too slow in having that music out there. Mm. Um, and and it, the moment where I said, like, look, it, it just doesn't matter. Yeah, um, I mean, I recognize the obsession part. I do get obsessed, you know, but uh, not that it's painful or, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, uh, mm. I mean, the struggle needs to be there, of course, but it's that's fun. I, I like struggle, you know. I like the, the friction and the never being able to get exactly where you want or... Um, you know, I, I basically just go along with the ride and, and hope for the best and then accept whatever it becomes. Could apply to many other things. <laughs> what about you, Fed? I was thinking very beautiful, well said, everybody. I related a lot of stuff. But the, what is my problem, for example, is the frame of reference that it's really influenced me and I like not being honest in what I'm doing. Uh, I realize that the good stuff that I do is the one that I kind of do by myself and those are the ones that then I can put out in the world with not regrets, not a lot of second thought or, or uh, second doubting. But when I'm referencing myself to other artists uh, or uh, to other kind of music, to other kind of production, I, it's the moment where I start... Uh, um, doubting myself and like changing my process to be more close to that kind of uh, uh, musical output because that sounds better and uh, I needed to start thinking um, as you were saying not framing things this sounds better or this sounds worse but this sounds authentic this sounds like me and so that's the moment where I managed to be to do things uh, following myself and not imitating others it, it's it's where I, I do good stuff uh, so that's why for me right now it's not this sounds good that sounds bad but yes like this sounds real sounds authentic since sounds like I had something to say and I did it no matter how it really sounds in the end how clean or polished the product is but uh, mostly I have our time when I reference to other like i listen to somebody else oh this sounds so good i want to be like that that way like i can go a week in a suicide mission trying to redo that kind of ambient <laughs> sound and it's never coming out the way i want and and it's it's really that's really impact with my mood with my self-esteem and with my production so replicating something is probably the hardest thing you can do in sound yeah <laughs> it's a good exercise yeah, it Longer can be a good exercise. An exercise yeah. But when you do it as a, I want to be like that or that I need to better myself because I want to be like that, that is a killing, killing mission for me. Because <laughs> you, you, you're exposing yourself to the outside world and the outside world always changes constantly. So that is a, a mission without end. If, if you take the exactly. outside world as, as your reference point and you have no... Exactly. You are never going to finalize anything because the yep. environment around you changes all the time. So you need to change in order to, exactly. if that's what you want to keep up with. That's a, that's a, yeah, that's a very yeah, If you are an evolving, a good to evolve, but if the change is, is, 
is uh, mutated by this uh, frame of reference, then mm. you it's... you hardly get to a point when you are yourself because you are yeah. always uh, following the, the trend or, or following other artists. So it's very catchable, basically. Balance. Wow, people, we got really deep in philosophical on this one. That's nice. That's cool. Um, actually, we are talking for more than two hours. Uh, usually what we do on the end of... Uh, of the chat is giving everybody a little opportunity, uh, some time to uh, to plug or promote uh, anything they've been doing or they want to share with the audience. So maybe we just go from uh, from A to P and uh, start with Uwe. Uwe, you got anything you want to share with people? Any new releases or recent things you've been working on? Well, the recent things um, will be coming out maybe later this year, so there's nothing to promote just yet. Um, I think um, the only thing really is um, the chain of releases that started last year with um, the album I had released on uh, Raster and the 0.9 EP on which Peter was kindly um, providing a remix for. And there will be um, the last outtake coming of this um, album, which will be called Ref. It's a video, uh, audio video EP of six tracks. Um, which will come out sometime, I think, early June or something like that. And uh, related to that and around that, um, I'm still, for everybody who does not know my music or want to know more, um, um, I continue releasing, re-releasing. Uh, my back catalog um, is on um, atomtm slash AAA. Uh, atomtm.com slash AAA, which is the AtomTM audio archive. And there are constantly things being, you know, uh, everybody, you know, can rediscover uh, old and not that old stuff. Uh, that's then, you know, like normally I'm incorporating also newer productions into the archive. And so people can check it out there. And this is like always in motion. Um, so, but also like due to the, um, the lockdown situation, of course, there's no live shows, hence there's no... I'm making a new live set, but um, let's see when this is coming out, um, when this is going to happen. And um, so, yeah, for now it's all like online and um, that, those releases I mentioned. Awesome. Yeah, I saw that uh, that you built this uh, AAA uh, archive. Mm. It's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing uh, uh, list of stuff. I mean, you have done so many things. It's crazy. <laughs> it's yeah. absolutely insane. Um, it, took me, and, it took me 10 years, yeah. yeah. <laughs> how, how, many, how many different monikers did you use? Because when I go onto Discogs, like the, the amount I, I don't of know. Anonyms is like, how? No, you other don't keep people, track? Uh, no, other <laughs> people counted them. Names. Other people counted them. I have no idea. Um, <laughs> But it's like uh, the, the archive now is 170 albums and like 1,500 tracks, more or less. My God. And it and took me it, 10 years it, to remaster. Wow. And, and the stuff that is um, uh, out on labels that own the master rights, are you able to put those in the, in the archive as well? Um, most of the older stuff was expired. So, right. um, But of course, the more recent things, they're not part of the archive they are listed in the archive but you cannot download them from the archive right ah, okay yeah but they are listed everything is listed just like then externally linked for the newer material uh, which other record companies hold the master rights to yeah well so that's the place people should go to if they want to find out yeah. more about your music uh, it's yes. amazing it's an amazing project by itself to be honest the whole archive is crazy 
Um, yeah, I also would encourage people to check out the 0 0.9 um, release. That's an extraordinary um, piece as well. So uh, thanks Uwe, for hanging out. Really nice to uh, talk to you. Yeah, it was fun. And, uh, Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Aura, anything? You've got a new EP, right? Like a recent one? Yes, I have last week uh, one EP come out. Uh, it's called Cadenza. It's a full uh, improvised uh, theme, a uh, 40-minute uh, session. Uh, so that's on Spotify, and uh, you can check it out there. Uh, plus, I'm doing a weekly uh, streaming, and, and every Wednesday I release on YouTube uh, improvisational performance. It's going to be up to, at 5.30, so in an hour, on my page. And that's, yeah, and then I'll do Busy my... Day. Yeah, it's Good timing. <laughs> exactly. And, yeah, another album will come out soon on vinyl on... July, but still, we are still uh, dealing with the uh, small, small points. So I, I, I'll let you know about that. Awesome. Cool, man. Thanks for uh, hanging out again. Thanks. And, uh, and uh, pleasure. We'll, uh, we'll check out the EP and, of course, the um, uh, performance on YouTube for sure. And Peter, anything you want to share with us? Um, last release was out. March, I think, so not so long ago on Time to Express. Um, what I'm currently working on is uh, a lot of things without um, very clear plans. I've started um, exploring audiovisual options, so I'm, I'm actually studying quite a bit. Um, I'm trying to get into Touch Designer and um, I'm trying to figure out how I can build an audiovisual show a bit away from techno and more in, in, a, in a more experimental setting. Um, and apart from that, well, I still do my monthly mix on Patreon, on my Patreon account. Um, and I've uh, relaunched, or I'm soon relaunching the 60sounds.com platform for adventurous uh, sound design. Um, and apart from that, well, as Uwe also said, not too many live shows right now. <laughs> so, um, yeah, if people want to know about me, they can go to petervanhoosen.com. It's all there. I think uh, Sander is already uh, looking things up in the background and uh, posting things to the chat. So, uh, cool. Well, thanks, uh, Peter. Really nice t uh, speaking to you. Uh, and um, yeah, I think the only thing I want to mention is the Discord server where all the nerds hang out. Uh, <laughs> and uh, if, if one of you wants to take a look there, you're welcome to join. And uh, we also have a Patreon page uh, so you can... Uh, support the project or get uh, sound kits, sound, sound banks and stuff like that or masterclasses uh, so have a look there, the link should be in the uh, description uh, or in the chat so um, yeah, that was great thanks for joining, thanks, thanks for again and thanks for the uh, people on Twitch uh, to uh, stick with us and uh, I'll see everybody next week, ciao ciao bye bye, bye.